Well, as we uh, move into Holy Week this year, the challenges of, of isolation, separation, and quarantine remain. And I know that how we are responding and dealing with this new normal varies greatly from person to person. For some, the bitterness of loneliness is far greater than before. Missing people has become more poignant. For others, having children home from college is an unexpected treasured blessing of reconnecting. Some folks love having time with their partners or spouses. Others are struggling with pre-coronavirus cracks in relationships. Lots are dealing with ramped up challenges of, of single parenting. Some are focusing on health, whereas others have let old unhealthy habits creep back into day-to-day living. Many of us are experiencing an admixture of feelings from fear to a sense of being blessed, to worry, to gratitude for what is right, to profound concern over how to pay bills, to deeper levels of prayer, and a whole litany of other thoughts and feelings. Well, as with many in our community, our three children are home right now due to closed schools. And despite the fact that I despair and agonize over the catastrophic consequences so many people are facing in this valley, this country, and globally, my wife and I are deeply grateful that our three children are with us. And it's during this time that I've thought not only about the fact that our three children have grown up so quickly, but I have reflected upon memories of each of them when they were very young. It seems like just yesterday when our high school age son, Peter, was just a toddler. And while being two is a charming age, it certainly was challenging as well. Peter used to get into everything. I won't forget the day he found his way into the food pantry and gobbled up peanuts covered with hot, spicy wasabi sauce. And if my memory is right, it was just a few days after that that he found it delightfully delightfully funny to pour birdseed all over the floor, all over the house. And he used to cherish an opportunity to pull pots and pans out of the cupboards, take covers off stereo speakers, and hide his shoes in the toilet. Then there was Catherine, who is now nearly 20, when she was very little. Somehow, somehow, despite our best parenting efforts, she found and swallowed a small cup of bleach. And despite the fact we flipped out and called the poison control center, other than totally white bleached diaper contents, she was totally fine. And of course, there was Elizabeth, who is now nearly 22. When she was little, I'll never forget one Sunday when she came forward for communion, I put a small piece of bread in her hand, and when she proceeded to dunk the entire piece of bread and part of her hand in the chalice with wine, she looked up and smiled and said, Jesus, juicy. (laughs) Well, it was during those years of having young children and their unbounded curiosity, entertaining antics, and hilarious comments that Regina and I decided to put up some barriers in the house, things to to keep our kids safe. We put locks on cabinets, tight clips on bags of birdseed, and connected all the bookshelves to walls. We placed things like bleach far out of reach and locked down trash can lids. We put plastic covers over sockets and plugs and drains. Yes, in those days, there were barriers all over the house. 
And while they needed to be there, they often were frustrating because they often tripped or got hung up by the things we put up to contain and protect our children. Yet it was very clear that the barriers we put up had to be there. And somehow our kiddos are still alive today. Indeed, putting up barriers can be the right thing to do, life-saving and necessary. And as human beings, we don't have to look very hard to find barriers all around us, as they are many barriers that are imposed and necessary because of this pandemic. Now, I'm glad the barriers that we're subjected to right now are in place and in some cases legally mandated. The barriers of personal protective equipment, social distancing, not traveling, limiting our time going into places that provide necessary services, and even going into quarantine are all barriers that are part of our lives right now, part of our daily existence. As an aside, I have to say, I'm glad the barriers that have been requested and required during this pandemic are in place, and I want us all as people of faith to adhere to them. It will save lives and move us through this mess more quickly. Despite having said all this, frankly, I don't like it at all. Today's Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week, which marks the days between now and Easter. And today marks the day, Sunday, that Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem. And Scripture tells us that Jesus entered the city on the back of a colt. And as he progressed into Jerusalem, vast crowds welcomed him by spreading cloaks and leafy branches on the ground before him. Hence, the palm leaves we have today. The people shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. It is striking that the prophet Zechariah foretold these events hundreds of years before Jesus entered Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, in Zechariah, we find, Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on an ass, on a colt, the foal of an ass. And to many in Jerusalem, that's Palm Sunday, Jesus was just this king, the one who would turn everything around and bring in a new reign of God. This is why the people screamed out, Hosanna, which means save, save in Greek. So the people that morning, that Palm Sunday morning, were saying, save, save, save us. Well, the days of Holy Week that followed Jesus' entry on Palm Sunday were incredibly busy ones. And as I like to do each year, I like to remind us and give us a, a brief rundown of what happened each day of that week. On Monday of Holy Week, Jesus went into the temple, and it was there he encountered people trying to make money off religious folks in corrupt, unethical ways. He turned a bunch of tables upside down and told folks that they had lost sight of why they were there to begin with. Jesus, in essence, said this is a place for people to come and pray and be with God, not a place for you to make a profit for self-serving purposes. He was filled with zeal to set things right, and encourage those who were there to worship God for the right reasons. Jesus, we are also told that Monday, healed people in the temple. And what is striking is that the most religious people there that day at the temple were offended by the fact that Jesus was healing people there. Well, Monday rolled into Tuesday, and on Tuesday of Holy Week, just outside of Jerusalem, Jesus and his companions saw a fig tree they had seen the day before on Monday. It was withered, 
It was barren. And the day before on Monday, Jesus looked at the fig tree and said, may you never bear fruit again. And on Tuesday, when they see the fig tree again, Jesus explains to his disciples the whole meaning of the thing. Through this action, Jesus was demonstrating how corrupt and off base so many people in Jerusalem had become. In essence, he was telling people that the people of Jerusalem were following a dead end like the withered fig tree. He also tells his disciples who are there with him that if they have enough faith, they can do anything and get through anything. And while still overlooking the city, Jesus preaches some of his most powerful lessons. He talks about his second coming. He teaches about marriage and taxes, that heaven is like a wedding banquet. He speaks of judgment and of caring for the poor. He speaks of justice. He reminds people that in the end that all that matters is love. And Jesus talked about a wide range of topics on that Tuesday. Some people were totally changed as a result of what Jesus said. Others got hot under the collars of their robes, especially self-righteous religious folks. But it was also on this day that Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, goes to the religious authorities and agrees, agrees to help them arrest Jesus in exchange for 30 pieces of silver. Now, there's some debate whether, Jesus, or whether Judas did this on Tuesday or Wednesday, but what matters is, is that Judas, in fact, did betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Tuesday was quite the eventful day. We don't know a lot about Wednesday of that week as the Gospels are silent, although it's clear that plans were made to set Jesus up. A lot of people think that after all that had happened on Sunday, all that had happened on Monday and Tuesday, that on Wednesday, Jesus rested. Regardless, Wednesday turned into Thursday. And on Thursday, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He and his closest followers then went into Jerusalem where they gathered for the Last Supper, a tradition we remember every Sunday with the bread and the wine. It was at this supper that Jesus washed the feet of his friends, reminding them that following him is all about selfless service. And it was on this day that Jesus was arrested and taken before authorities on bogus charges. And then Friday rolled around. In the Gospels, we're told that Jesus is brought before Annas and then Caiaphas, both high priest, and put on trial. Then he's put up in front of the Sanhedrin, a group of judges, for a third trial. Then he's taken to Pilate, then back to Herod, then back to Pilate, both government authorities. In essence, Jesus may very well have gone through six trials on early Friday morning before and after sunrise. And even though there's no basis to convict Jesus of any crime, let alone crucify him, the people demand that he be crucified. Jesus is beaten then and bruised by a whip. People laugh at him and mock him. And bleeding and wounded, our Lord is forced to carry the instrument of his own execution. Although some of the Gospels tell us that a man named Simon of Cyrene was forced to help Jesus carry his cross. And as Jesus was led along to the place that he would die, some cried, others yelled. Many spat at him, mocking him as he stumbled. And when they reached the hilltop, the officers placed the cross on the ground, threw Jesus down on top of it. And as they held his hands down, they drove large nails through his wrists and then his feet. And as his body writhed, the cross was raised. And when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And a few moments later, Jesus gave out his last cry and breathed his last. It is at this exact moment that the Bible tells us that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And in many ways, the words, the curtain of the temple was torn in two are some of the most powerful life-changing words in all of Scripture. They tell us that at the moment that Jesus died on the cross, that everything was forever changed. And let's take a look at what this means. As you've heard me talk before in various settings, the Jewish temple was a vast place. There were a lot of different sections to the Jewish temple. Very simply stated, there was an outer courtyard where people were allowed to gather for all kinds of things. And within that courtyard, there was a structure called the holy place. And only priests were allowed to go into that place, the holy place. And within the holy place was a smaller area, 15 by 15 cubic feet, called the Holy of Holies. Only one priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies and only once a year. And inside the Holy of Holies was the very presence of God. And what kept everyone out of the Holy of Holies and away from the direct presence of God was the physical barrier of the curtain of the temple, a barrier to keep human beings away from God. One scholar even thinks that the curtain was so large that it was 60 feet long, 30 feet wide, and up to an inch thick. Quite the barrier, I would say. Well, the curtain of the temple reminded people that God is holy, separate, and not to be approached directly. But when Jesus died on the cross, the gospel tells us the curtain of the temple was torn in two. In other words, the separation between God and humanity was forever removed. As one person writes, what did the torn curtain mean? For Jews, it meant no more barrier between them and the Holy of Holies. No more priests to serve as go-between between them and God. No more animal sacrifices to atone for their sins. And for us, what did the torn curtain signify? That we are welcome to enter God's presence any day, any time. Said another way, there is no barrier between you and me and God. When Jesus hung on the cross and died, the curtain was torn and all barriers between God and humankind went with it. The barrier of sin is gone. The barrier of fear keeping us from God, removed. The barrier of guilt, blown apart. The barrier of I'm not good enough to go to God, eliminated. The barrier of I'm not holy or righteous is to be with God, refuted. The barrier of having to have proper piety, disassembled. The barrier of having to measure up in some way to have a relationship with God, shredded. The barrier of worrying that God is angry with you, split open. Jesus dealt with our mistakes on the cross. We don't need power, status, prestige, or the right connections to have access to God, the one with the ultimate power. God demands nothing of us for God to be with us and within us. Nothing we can do can separate us from God's love, healing power, and strength to make it through anything, including this pandemic. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. The torn curtain means that God is close to us, that God welcomes us as is. The door is open and Jesus is here. There is no barrier, 
no gulf between our pain and God's understanding of it. On this Palm Sunday, we are in one of the darkest times that I can remember in all of my 60 years of life. The pain and challenges and fear and very significant problems that so many people are dealing with because of this pandemic are massive. But in the midst of what we are living through right now, in the center of whatever our hearts are feeling and our minds are thinking, God invites us to remember today, right now, that the curtain was torn in two. We may be physically separate from people we love. We may be separate from how we wish life could be. We may be separate from who and what matters to us. But there is one thing we are never separate from. And that one thing is not a thing at all, but it's Jesus. All those barriers are gone. And it is Jesus who today gives us strength, who gives us courage, who heals us, who restores us. It is Jesus who will free us from fear and panic and give us his peace that passes all understanding. It is Jesus who will lead and guide us through this terrible pandemic. And because of this, Jesus invites us to turn absolutely everything over to him, moment by moment by moment, day by day by day. I want to conclude this morning with the following. Long ago, Paul wrote a letter to the people of Rome. He wanted them to understand some things that were important. And as I think about his letter and what he wrote, it's clear to me that what Paul wrote in his letter to the people of Rome are incredibly relevant to you and to me today. And in particular, I invite us to ponder and remember and pray about some very specific words that Paul wrote to the people of Rome so long ago. And those words that were written so long ago, as I just said, are relevant for we who are alive today. And just as they were important for people of ancient Rome to hear, these words are important for people to hear right now who are living in Sydney, Paris, Beirut, New York, Mexico City, Toronto, San Antonio, Tehran, Jerusalem, Los Angeles, Detroit, Denver, and for those of us living here in Snowmass Village. The words that Paul wrote, which I'll share in a moment, need to be heard in every nook and cranny on earth. And the words I'm talking about are from the eighth chapter of his letter to the Romans. Here are the words that you and I need to hear right now who are enduring this worldwide pandemic and the barriers we are experiencing on earth. Paul wrote, what can we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Certainly not God who did not even keep back his own son but offered him for us all. God gave us his son. And because of this, in all things, we have complete victory through God. For I am certain that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels 
nor other heavenly rulers or powers, neither the present nor the future, neither the world above nor the world below. There is nothing in all creation that will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours through Christ Jesus, our Lord. My friends, the curtain was torn. There are no barriers between God who will get us through this time. And there certainly are no barriers between the love of Jesus, which is surrounding you and filling you right now from head to toe. Amen. And let us pray.